Do you think UFOs, the paranormal, weird history, cryptozoology, and outsider art are pretty darn cool? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to High Strangeness with your host, Steve Berg. Five. Hello, my friends. Welcome to High Strangeness. And tonight I have a, a good buddy, Jason Andrews on. From the beautiful fields of Illinois, my friend, how are you doing this evening? I'm, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing so good. And, you know, uh, Jason was just telling me that he experienced an F3 tornado that, uh, was, was that last Friday? Yeah, it was. Yeah. We were supposed to be doing this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I'm glad we didn't try. I was like, we might have some severe weather. Can we like postpone it? And you're like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then, yeah, we were without power for quite a long time. Um, lost a lot of houses, a few people. Not good. Oh God! Lost airport. Like what? Uh, it went right between our refinery and our ethanol plant, and destroyed the airport. So oh, no, they That's couldn't awful. even in. Like it was. It's been. There's still roads closed, power lines down, a boil order until yesterday. Like it's been a nightmare. A boil order. Yeah, the, because uh, we lost a bunch of yeah. pumps and things, like diesel pumps for the water. And uh, oh my god, it was it was a bad time, dude. It was a really it was a yeah, yeah for a few days. Dude, well, you, I'm, I'm, you know, everyone here at uh, you know High Strangeness HQ is very happy you're alive and that you know you made it out unscathed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is a this is a real uh, treat to have you on tonight, my friend. You know, I'm excited. I'm glad yeah. to be here. Um, well, so I'm going to, you know, because I am very unprofessional, I forgot to ask Jason to send me a bio. So I'm going to have him do it, put him on the spot, and tell us a little bit about yourself, my friend. It would be my absolute pleasure. And Thank there you, is dog. no favor that you could ask of me that I would bat an eye at. I'm, Aww, I'm, you. I'm here for you. So, uh, yeah, my name is Jason Andrews. How are you? Um, <laughs> I started a podcast in the pandemic, like a lot of people did, um, called Paranormal Patio, where I interview weirdos like myself and talk about all things paranormal, ghosts, aliens, UFOs, uh, Mothman, Bigfoot, the whole thing, not just ghosts. And uh, yeah. in fact, Steve and I have talked, and ghosts are my least favorite thing, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean I don't like them. It's just I really, yeah. really like everything else, right? Uh, <laughs> Same, buddy. Yeah, uh, I've been working on a documentary, which I think Steve is wanting to talk about a little bit tonight. I do, I do. Don't, don't, bl don't blow it. Don't blow it. Don't talk about it too much. I'm not going to talk about. It. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All secrets, and um, yeah, you find find my show everywhere that you can find shows, except for Apple. And I would love to hear from fans and get some input. So, I highly recommend the show. It's fantastic. It's just a great vibe, good tone. You. You, what I love is, I, I think the greatest combination of any podcast is when you have somebody who is deeply passionate about what they're talking about, but can also laugh at it and have a little fun with it. Because at oh. the end of the day, we're talking about UFOs, encrypted, cream. I mean, like, you know, we're talking about on its face, very funny stuff. And like, as it, it's funny, I was uh, <clears throat> doing an interview with my friend, Greg Bishop, and we were talking about like, there's no bigger turnoff. When in people in the field who can't laugh at laugh at it, who don't have a sense of humor about the stuff, because mm -hmm. especially when you talk about these high strange cases, they're oftentimes 
really funny. They are, yeah, yeah. And if you have a dark sense of humor, like I do, uh, you can find humor mm-hmm. in a lot of things that aren't necessarily humorous to everyone else. Um, yes, sir. It goes a long way, too. I have been known to dance around the gallows humor, my friend. Um, uh, I'm sorry if I if I got you off track. Anything else you want to like uh, let people know? So, I mean, your podcast is absolutely fantastic. I can't um, I can't recommend it enough, to be honest. Kind words, man. Kind words. Um, oh, dude, that's about it about me. Like, um, yeah, I keep my personal stuff pretty personal, but um, I do love talking about weird stuff and and reading yeah. about weird stuff and. Uh, I actually come across something fairly weird that I want to surprise you with tonight. Oh, uh, you want to you want to do it now? You want me to do it right now? Sure, dude. Okay, so you know I've been reading a lot of uh, older UFO books and things. So i I needed a break from the from the UFO stuff specifically, and I picked up uh, Gray Barker's Men in Black: The Secret Terror. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'm reading, I'm reading the book, and towards the end, something that really caught my eye was just, it was bizarre. Was this, <laughs> this is little quip in here. William George Herons confessed to three murders in 1946. Herons has been called the lipstick killer due to a notorious message scrawled in lipstick at a crime scene. He is reputedly the world's longest-serving prisoner having thus far spent 65 years in prison. I don't know when this book was written, but Heron spent time at the St. Gibault School for Wayward Boys, where Charles Manson was sent at a young age, and where Mason claims Manson claims he was mind-controlled by a former officer of the Nazi SS. Why I stopped here is because this is 45 minutes from me, and I had always heard that Charles Manson had been to this boy's home uh, after he left Ashland, and turns out, like, I found something that made me dig into it more to find out that, you know, it really did. But where it connects to you is mm. that a lipstick killer, um, I believe, is in Nebraska. What? I'm writing this down right now. The lipstick killer? Yeah. 1946. 1946. Oh, my gosh. See, this is why you do your own podcast, folks, because then you get these hot tips, these yeah. red hot tips from dudes like Jason. Thank you so much. That's also how fascinating that Manson was for. I mean, that that's that's odd. But this is what happens when you look into this stuff, man. <laughs> totally weird. Totally weird. Totally but weird. I, with you, I've been sitting on it. I didn't even like, you know, email it to you or anything because I wanted to surprise you. Oh, that's hot gossip right on the show, folks. You, you know, come on. That, that, oh, thank you. I am very excited to rabbit hole into that. So thank you in advance. Yeah. Jason, let me ask you this question. All right. Because I, I think it's important to know um, people's origin story when, in terms of like their interest in this stuff. How did you become, I mean, I don't want to use the word obsessed because sometimes that has a negative connotation. I don't, I don't see it as a negative thing. I am obsessed with this stuff. And I don't mean to throw that label on you, but how did you become obsessed with high strangeness? Oh, dude. So, like, I grew up in what I like to call the Ghostbuster generation because mm-hmm. I was born in 1985. And so, growing up, I always had the cartoon, the Ghostbusters cartoon, and I loved it. I don't know why. Yeah. I just did. You know, it was so good. It's very it's good. Still, still very yeah, it good. Was. It is. And, it's funny. Uh, yeah. And the older I got it, and I was allowed to watch you know, uh, more mature content. And then I watched the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. movie 
And I was like, oh man, this is great. Um, so I think it started with that. And then we had that sort of, I don't know, age of pop culture where everything was like UFOs and aliens and ghosts and things that really hit hard. Like X-Files blew up in the 90s and I was just there for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Twin Peaks yeah. and, and all the good stuff. Same here. Same here. So that really started it. And then combine that with when I, I was like 12, 13 years old, I was really just like, I'm from a really conservative religious community. Uh, I was just tired of being force fed Christianity. And mm -hmm. I started looking into other spiritual paths and studying a bunch of religions, which is, you know, not something I don't think a lot of 13 year old kids do, right. but I really felt like, like I knew I was supposed to have some sort of spirituality, right. But I didn't like the one that I was being force fed. And yeah. so I got to find something different. And I, I, I studied a lot, uh, Buddhism and Judaism and, and I ended up getting into magic when we started reading and studying about the Salem witch trials in school. And I was like, uh, I wonder, like, what's the real story behind this stuff? You know what I mean? And so that was my first real taste. And that kind of led me in a ipso facto way into new age things as well. And mm -hmm. astral projection and lucid dreaming, which became a big part of my life. And I feel like that really shaped um, it really shaped how I look at the world differently than most people. And after a while, like I, it just kind of made me depressed because no one that I knew, no one I talked to really thought about things the same way that I did. And I felt really, really lonely. And I still do a lot of times, even though I've not. I understand. Up. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it made me kind of set everything down and be like, you know, I'm, I'm done with it all. Like I still have an interest in it, but I can't focus on it because I'm going to lose my mind. You know, I don't want to give into the depression. And no. so I'm just going to pretend that I don't care about these things and I don't see things that way. And that doesn't work, but I pretended it did for a while. And then whenever hell year came out, um, mm -hmm. I don't want to, uh, I watched it late 2019 or early mm -hmm. 2020. I put it off for a long time because it said hell in it. And I thought it was going to be like some weird Christian documentary. <laughs> yeah, same here. And then I heard it was about the Hopkinsville goblins. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll check it out. Well, and you know, I started it and I was hooked. Like I was like, I'll give it a few minutes. And if it's really bad, I'll turn it off and I'll go to bed, but I didn't go to bed. And I watched all the first season and part of the second season before I finally retired. And I, you know, ended up binging it all. Um, but when I saw the second season, and they, they showed the hypnotist, Lonnie Scott. They showed that he was in Mattoon, Illinois. And I'm like, that's less than an hour away from me, man. Like, I wonder if that dude lives there. That's interesting. So, like, I, I looked him up on Facebook, and he had a Facebook profile. And I added him and sent him a message, and we chatted a little bit. And then he made a post about wanting some graphic design, like, work done for, like, a T-shirt or something for his web store for his podcast, which I didn't know existed. Uh, it's called Weird Web Radio. And I ended up doing graphic design work for him. Uh, I've made a lot of shirts for him, a lot of stuff. And uh, one day he made a post about, this was like when the pandemic was starting to get really bad, about if you have any creative aspirations, things that you would like to do, now's a great time to try them out. Well, I had done a podcast in the past. It wasn't paranormal related. It was just goofy and it was for fun, really. Um, and I had worked at a radio station 
and I way back in the day did an internet radio and video live show with one of my buddies that was a nightmare. Um, And so I was like, I'd I'd really like to give podcasting a shot again. And because of like how how deeply hell you're affected me, I wanted to do a paranormal themed podcast. And and ever since then, the people that I've met and the stories that I've talked about and things I've covered have just consumed everything. So I guess technically Hellier really is what made me obsessed. Um, right. With, but it had always kind of been there. Yeah. 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 You had, you had the foundation and then Hellier was like that little spark. And I think, you know, it, I think it was for a lot of people, like whether they want to admit, admit, admit it or not, admit it or not that a TV show inspired them that much. But it inspired me. It, I mean, it changed me. It, it like reignited something in me, especially because it was it, like I went in with these preconceived notions about what it was going to be. I was like, oh, man, at best, it'll be like lightly entertaining. You know, I'll, I'll try any kind of paranormal show. And I was kind of blown away. Like even like even just like taking out the the subject matter was obviously very interesting to me. But like it was so like artfully done too. you know, like. I really enjoyed like um, the ambition that they put into it. It really showed when you, when you watched it. So it's, it was refreshing an project. It didn't really have the traditional payoff. Right. And that was refreshing yeah. because you watch these, these paranormal shows, paranormal documentaries, and it's like, well, we're going ghost hunting. Guess what? We found a ghost, whether they, you know, yeah. whether they did or not, but that, that's the presentation. And then, and Hellier comes along and it's like, well, no goblins, but you know, yep. we're going to keep looking because <laughs> weird stuff keeps happening. So, and they weren't afraid to go to Crazy Town, which I totally admire. You know, like, I mean, like, to base a, sh- like, to have the crux of a show being following synchronicities, like, I, I coming from, like, the entertainment world, like, if I tried to pitch that <laughs> to somebody, they would, like, I'd be blackballed. They'd throw me out the window. You'd be like, you're insane. Don't send your client back here. <laughs> you know, like, trust me, because I've tried to pitch many shows like this, and it usually doesn't go very well. Um, but, yeah, you're totally right, because, like, so many of the shows, it's like, they go in there, of course they find a ghost, then they go to a library and research who owned the house, you know, hundred years ago. And that obviously must be uh Sarah Thompson, who was like burnt, you know, like I'm like, I don't know if High Strange just really works that way. I don't think if you're if you're kind of an answer based person, High Strange is not for you. <laughs> in my opinion. No. Um, I mean if you're gonna find answers, but they're never gonna be what you expect. Yes, there, there. To me, it's I, the only thing I find. I almost never find an answer. I find more questions. I do find those. You know, too. <laughs> you know like sometimes, man, um, you get questions and you have to dig and find the answers to the ones that come up because it'll consume you if you don't. It, it really will. And 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 when I say like you know, uh, I've been lucky enough to not have like rabbit holes like affect my personal life too much to where like it's usually just a very positive thing it's like an escape from the world or i don't know and, and and like part of me feels that the most interesting people in the world that i've ever met have been people who research in this field it, 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 i mean like there's obviously a bunch of you know like a lot of dumbasses but like you know like there isn't anything but there are some of the most intelligent philosophically hip people that i've ever met in my life very well read because like you know if you really want to dig in and learn about this stuff, the internet and TV and like articles only go so far. You have to read books. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, for sure. Um, wow. That that's interesting. So like you were kind of one of those person, you it seems like you were kind of a guy who was like predisposed to be into 
esoteric stuff and then you found this like little spark from hellier and you went to you went you went to town i did yeah and along the way i had a lot of different personal experiences you know um Mm -hmm. and i've I've pretty much everything except for monsters i think i've encountered in my life um right i've seen a lot of ghosts my first ghost encounter if you'd like me to share was actually an animal please it was a ghost animal it was a dog Um, tell friend I'm going to like label myself as a psychopath here, but I hate dogs, dude. I am not mm-hmm. a dog fan. Never have been. Okay. Never. Will be. um, so I was going to visit my aunt and her boyfriend and her, they, they live together out in the country and across the driveway on the same like property, uh, his sisters lived uh, beside them. And I was going out to visit them one night. It was kind of late, definitely dark. And I got out of my car and there's this little dog that's like running around my legs, never touched me never jumped on me. It just kept running around my legs. It was like running figure eights between my feet as I'm trying to walk. Could and you I get it. No, it never touched me. No. Okay. Never. touched me. I don't know how, cause it was like a tornado, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Funny thing. Um, anyway, so I get up like close to their door and it runs off and you know, I go in and I'm like, when did you guys get this crazy dog? And they're like, what are you talking about? And I, I explained, you know, just like I just did. And I just described what the dog looked like. I don't even remember really anymore other than it was small. But one of the sisters was there and she started crying. And she said, you just described exactly the dog that I had that died two years ago, got hit by a car. And I was like, there's no way. She goes, yeah, he used to run around and he would never jump on you. But you would always think, like, how did he not touch me? And it was the same exact thing. It was really wild. Whoa, when was this again? Oh, this was probably like 2000 ish. That is really nuts. It was. When, was that your was that your first experience with uh anything weird that you can recall? Yeah, I think so. Um definitely anything that was uh, that I would consider like proof of something going on, you know, you get eerie mm-hmm. feelings and things like that, but um the 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 funny and weird thing is, and I think about this all the time is the next paranormal event that I had a couple of years after that was with another ghost animal and it was, it was a cat. So it's like I had a ghost dog and a ghost cat before I ever had anything like else happen. That was my experience was ghosts are only animals. That's the only <laughs> that has a soul are animals that survives death. And I, I saw this ghost cat that uh, appeared as a sheet of paper kind of falling like the classic UFO like movement in a bathroom and out of the corner of my eye, I was like, why is that paper falling? And I look and there's this little white kitten and it runs between a sink vanity and a wall where there's nowhere else for it to go. It's like a dead end little gap. And I went over and looked and it was gone. And I was like, that's, that's weird. You know, like there's ghost number two and, and you know, now it's a cat. Um, it was in a house. It was incredibly terrifying, though. It was that really is, bad feeling. And that now. was two years after the first the dog experience. Uh, roundabout, yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this question because I kind of had this. Um, I mean, it's not my idea. I'm sure someone's many people have said this before, but like, it does seem to me that like your first, you know, high strange experience or whatever you want to call it, is kind of an whether you know it or not is sort of maybe perhaps an initiatory. Um, experience mm-hmm. and d- did did the first encounter with a dog change you in any way did it change your worldview or like 
your belief system or even how you things you were interested in? Like, the, how did it affect you? You know, I don't really remember. I don't remember anything mm-hmm. significant coming out of it. I thought it was definitely weird, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and the same with the cat. I don't remember much, uh, you know, with that other than like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, you know, both of them didn't make any sense because yeah. I had been to my, out to visit my aunt multiple times. You know, I'd never seen this dog, never heard about this dog. You know, like it was just an odd thing to happen. And I yeah, thought it was a no real doubt. dog, you know, until it ran away and we never saw it again after that. And it was, you know, they live out and they lived out in the country, but um, they knew all the neighbors around, you know, they were all separated, you know, half a mile away or whatever, but everybody knew everybody and they knew pets and animals because in country Illinois, dude, dogs just run, you know, they know, they know where they go. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, every dog that is, you know what I mean? Like, um, so no one knew anything else that could say otherwise that that wasn't a ghost dog. So it was definitely weird. I don't think I felt like it put me on a path to anything unless I just ignored the signpost, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always wondering, cause I mean like some, you know, some people I've talked to or, you know, like accounts I've read where it has a massive impact on people, you know, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but you know, I, I, I would have, I, you know, it, it's weird. You know, obviously you, we can't go back in time and look at how it affected you, but like, yeah, it was probably just maybe, maybe one of those things like, ah, that was just kind of an odd little thing. Was I seeing something or like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's like, what, what did you think at the time where you're like, that was a ghost dog? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, not until they told me about the dog that they had had that died. And I was like, well, that's a perfect description. It's exactly the same. And I think she might've even like shown me a picture of it or something. I'm like, that's the dog. You know, like there was no disputing it, but right. the dog was dead. You know, <laughs> I mean, they buried it. It's, it's not Pat Cemetery. Like it was a dead dog. Yeah, I don't God, know. That is, that's really wild. You know, it, oh man, I, I I love that. And then the cat thing is almost more, in a weird way, scary to me because you're in such an enclosed, uh, yeah, compromising position. <laughs> I know, like I was, I was on on the toilet at the time. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you know i appreciate you being so candid yeah you know why would i why would i make up a story and then include embarrassing details you know like i'm well you know you know you know it it is it is kind of funny with all this stuff you know like when you like take the big organizations who like kind of are repositories for these stories such as like bfro which is like the bigfoot research bigfoot research something, something, uh, organization. And then there's MUFON. And those are kind of like the big nuts and bolts, you know, like science, they're going for science, you know, trying to do good science and put do their good evidence, which is fine. It's great. But they will, and I know this from talking to people on MUFON and actually someone from BFRO, where like if there's an orb of light or if there's something weird, they will leave that out of the account yeah. or they will not use that story. Because to them, that makes it more unbelievable. And they're trying to be taken seriously, I guess, by mainstream science. But to me, I always prick my ears up where the weirder, more absurd stuff is, where it doesn't fit into like this kind of galactic federation of like UFO narrative. Anytime I hear a UFO narrative story like that, where it's kind of like so organized, consider me out. But if it's weird, hilarious, and absurd in like a, a David Lynch movie on acid, you have my attention because I feel like people who want to be believed 
will follow the, you know, a believe more believable narrative. And to me, I always find like, well, man, when I hear these really weird stories to me, not that I'm saying that they are more valid, but they're more valid to me personally. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I go for those two, man. Like somebody tells me, you know, Oh, this house is haunted or whatever. You want to come and look at it? Like, no, not really. Uh, they yeah. tell me, um, you know, one time, we saw this light in the sky and then all of the cabinets in the kitchen opened up at the same time. Uh, and when we closed them, all the TVs turned on. I'm like, yeah, I'm there. You know, like, I'm that, there yeah, exactly. Yep. I, buddy, I am the same damn way. Like I, I, I you know, cause I'm doing some local research in Nebraska and I had this lady who had this story of seeing what she called a fairy type creature. It was like a little stick figure that was running across the, uh, the, like the, a country road. She lives like rural Nebraska. And then I was like, that's really cool. And then she, she's like, and I was like, well, is anything else weird happened? She's like, well, it's kind of weird. I don't, know, I don't think you'll believe me. I'm like, try me. And she told me about that. She kept on seeing like this man who was like from like, looked like he was from like the ne- early 1900s riding on one of those giant, like, it's not like a unicycle, but remember, you, you know, like the old timey circuses. Yeah. Those yeah. giant bikes riding across the country road in the middle of the night and it would disappear into the cornfield and she saw it like multiple times and i'm like that i remember telling the lady go first off i believe that you what that you think you saw that too that is fantastic <laughs> i'm so excited about it it's just an um, out running just an yeah, well whatever it is man it's it's wild and i've never heard something like that so it, when things don't follow like a common narrative I think we must pay strict attention to that stuff, you know? Absolutely. Couldn't have said that better but, myself. Yeah, but I, I do feel like we're probably in the minority at this point. But I think the tides are turning. I think the tides are turning. I agree. Um, so, so, my man, you have been, it seems like, well, I mean, you are, because I know some of the stories, and this will segue into another question. But you have started doing some investigating and boots-in-the-ground research yourself. And uh, how did that start, and when did that start? Uh, let's see. That's a good question. I would say that, uh, investigating boots on the ground started when I went to Kentucky to follow up, uh, on a weird dream situation that I had had that I decided I was going to try to document, uh, a recreation of my trail, um, which we can talk about later, but yeah, that definitely would definitely really- that would have been March of um, 2020, I think. Mm-hmm. I have to check my dates, but I think 2020. It's all been a blur, man. This The pandemic ruined time. It um, did. It did. So anyway, um, for that was for a very specific thing. Um, and I, I don't really go out and just like, oh, somebody told me this cemetery saw it. Uh, let's go take you know a spirit box out there. I don't really do that. Um, but the other big investigation that I've done came uh, July of 2022 um, when a friend of mine mentioned a place that's really close to me that had some weird activity and we decided to go check it out. I'm glad you brought this up because it was going to lead into my next question. So you, you're, 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 picking up, you're picking it up, baby. Go, go for it. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> so you, you want me to get into that story? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it seems like you were going there anyways, uh, organically. And I don't, you know, you're talking about the one we discussed on yeah, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, just casually having a conversation with a friend of mine who had, uh, told me a story. I've heard it multiple times. So I always thought it was just because he was drunk, 
um, about a Bigfoot encounter that he had. But when he told me sober and the words were all exactly the same, I was like, no, it wasn't because he was drunk. It's because he had this experience happen. And um, I validated some other things that made me think, yeah, this is probably a true story. Plus, he's my friend. You know, I'm going to give him the benefit of it anyway. So um, I'm talking to him and he's like, oh, by the way, the lights at that cemetery are are real. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Lights at what cemetery? (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to say the name of the cemetery. Um, You know, the blah, blah cemetery, those lights, that's real. And I was like, I've never even heard of this place. Where is it at? And he, he tells me where it's at. And it's like 20 minutes from me. And I'm like, let's go out there sometime. And he's like, all right, yeah, whenever you want. And so the cemetery is about five miles away from where he had his Bigfoot encounter, which was absolutely a terrifying encounter for him. Um, he, he was camping with some friends and a Bigfoot shows up in the camp in the middle of the night. He sees it through the light of dying embers of a fire staring back at him. And it chases him into his tent. He gets the zipper down. And he tries to pretend that he's not there. He's like freaking out. He's like, I just froze. Like I was paralyzed. I'm just laying there. And it came up to the tent and was looking down through the, like, the little uh, mesh screen at the top at him. What? He, at this point, he's thinking it, it, it's got to be a person. Somebody's messing with me. Um, and so he, he reaches his foot out. And he's like, if I touch a boot uh, or a shoe, I know that it's a person. And he said, I touched the biggest big toe that I have ever felt in my life. He said, I was touching toes with Bigfoot through the wall of a tent. And uh, eventually the Bigfoot leaves and he he comes back out of the tent. He's like, I got to see what's going on. And he sees the Bigfoot down this like path and a baby Bigfoot runs up, jumps and swings onto the big one's shoulders. And they they turn back and look and he sees that the baby Bigfoot is holding a bag of hot dog buns and a bag of Doritos that they oh stole God. from a cooler at their campsite. And then they're gone. And, Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. So he goes back, um, the next morning they go find the cooler, which has been knocked down to the sandbar in the river. And the only thing that's left are some Quaker rice cakes, apples, <laughs> apple cinnamon. Didn't want them. Bigfoot doesn't even want them. Um, no. That happens like five miles away from from the cemetery that he's telling me about where he said people see these floating balls of light. And I was like, well, it's kind of in a Bigfooty type area. It's beside a river. Um, I don't know anything about it, but people are seeing lights and it's near a Bigfoot spot. Like I'm, I'm interested in checking it out because, again, it goes back to that. There's more than one thing happening at the same place. And right. it's not just a haunted cemetery. In fact, we didn't even talk about it being haunted. We just talked about the lights, not that they're ghosts. They're just lights. So it was it was August or July. It was it was, you know, getting into summer. It was kind of warm. Uh, we went out and the first thing I don't I don't think I mentioned this before, but we walked to the back of the cemetery. The first thing I noticed was there is a black ring of fungus. Like a fairy ring. A fairy ring? Well, it seems like, man, it's this black fungal ring of these weird little black mushrooms. And uh, it's oh, probably wow. seven foot wide, I would say, almost a perfect circle. Not quite, but per- pretty close. Um, and I mentioned before that I kind of um, got into magic when I was in high school. And I've revisited that because of things that have happened in my life lately. And so I kind of did a little bit of a, not 
I don't want to say it was a ritual, but it was kind of ritualistic, a little thing that I did before we got started. And I had left some candles burning and I wanted to have them in the middle of that fairy ring. I was like, if I can charge up anything like this has got to be it. Right. So this was still dusk. It hadn't quite gotten dark yet. Not long after darkness had totally arrived, we started hearing these big growls and crashes in the woods between the cemetery and the river. And what I'd say the growl that, sound like, like, like I mean, were they like, you know, or is that something that you had not heard before or were, were you attributing it to another animal? Like at first it was, no, it, uh, how do I describe it? sounded bigger than any animal yeah. that would not be out there. Right. Uh, crashes. The crashes sounded like elephants falling out of trees, man. It was like huge crashes. Oh my God. We're quiet. Like, um, if something was like stalking you or trying to scare you yeah. without, you know, just like a real low, quiet growl, but like you could tell it was coming from something big, not from like a fox or something like that. Uh, so we started hearing those. And I looked towards my car, which is a, it's probably 150 yards from the, from the back of the cemetery is where the road is. And I'm parked out there on the road. There's no parking lot. This is a country cemetery in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so I'm looking just listening, looking, and I see this orange ball of light. It looks like a cheap, like dollar store flashlight, that kind of orange incandescent dollar store light. And it looks like somebody shining it towards us, but it's moving towards my car. Not straight. It's kind of bouncing and moving. And I'm like, Keith, we got to go to my car, man. Somebody's going to mess with my car. So we take off, we run like the whole length of the cemetery. And I have my eyes on that light and it's like, it just disappears as we get to the car it's nowhere around there's no people around we didn't hear footsteps or running it's on a gravel dirt road would have heard something um and if it was a person that got off of the road so they could hide we would have heard them crashing in through the the brush and the weeds and, mm-hmm. and i don't think it was a person man and i f- i feel like between that event and what happens next it was trying to push us away from that far end of the cemetery and get us out. That's what it felt like to right. me because right. it waited until we were at the very back, showed itself the light, tried to scare us with the growls. That didn't work. And then the light shows up and we, we run to it, but we come back and we hear the growls again. And I decide to, I'm like, there's some really old graves here, Keith. Let's, let's try to, we're already here. We got the recorder going. Let's do a little ghost thing too. Like there's already weird stuff happening. I'm not a ghost guy, but let's try it. And I played Hell on the Wabash, which was a Civil War song uh, on my phone, and I was holding it up. And we're looking around, and all of a sudden, there's this bright white light up in the sky, and it's moving fast, faster than an airplane. No other colored lights flashing on it like you'd see on an airplane. And I'm like... I'm sorry, if, if I may, how fast did that happen after you started playing the song and started like you know doing the EVP recordings? Well, the song was pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, the song was still playing. So, I mean, it's not. Wow, so it was like almost like, oh, let's let's try this. And holy, yeah. In a couple of minutes, right? Yeah, Uh, that's incredible. So we're looking at it, and uh, I'm like, keep keep an eye on it. I'm going to check the flight traffic because I have an app to check flight traffic because if I'm going to go looking in the sky, I want to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right right off airplanes. Um, So I pull it up, and as I'm looking at it, he goes, oh, it flashed. Oh, it's gone. But there were no airplanes in the area. There was one about 45 miles away going the opposite direction. And we couldn't explain it any other way. 
Um, it just streaks across the sky. Uh, it's bright white, flashes, and then disappears. Um, so, and, and how thought, long would you reckon that you that you actually saw it in the air? Um, I like would say pretty quick. Twenty five seconds before I started looking at the traffic app. Um, That's pretty long, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we saw it coming from like way past the tree line, like up in the sky. It was a really clear night too, um, and I kind of thought, well, maybe, maybe it was a, a meteor or something streaking, but I couldn't find any evidence of that after the fact. Um, no other reports of them anywhere. No lightning. Um, not that I thought it would be lightning, but like the blue book response would be like, oh, you saw a lightning bolt. Um, yeah. I tried to debunk as much of it as I could, and I couldn't come up with the solution. And you have to. That's, you know, that's being honest. That's great. Yeah. And it was just such a weird thing. And it, again, it was going from towards the back of the cemetery out to the car. So it's like, come on, follow me. Get away from this part of the cemetery. Go home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so it was a pretty eventful night with that. And I went back in January. So it was like July, August went back in January with another friend who's, he's pretty into Bigfoot, but he thinks it's an animal, you know, he's a flesh mm-hmm. and blood guy and right. that's fine. You know, nothing, he's wrong not, with that. nothing wrong with that. Not into any of the other weird stuff. And it was on the, uh, idea of let's go see if we hear these big crashes and these growls again. Um, at this point, I had done a little research online for the cemetery and found that there was a story about the she-ape that likes the <gasps> tree in the middle of the cemetery. And what so, era was this, this story from? I have no idea. Um, right. It wasn't really even so much a story as it was a mention that the locals yeah. refer to a monster in the cemetery as the she-ape. Um, oh which is weird because it lines up, like I said, with my friend Keith being like five miles away and experiencing a Bigfoot that I think he, I'm pretty sure he described as a female. Um, and so it's like, well, maybe it's the same one, you know, like in the same general area and along the same river, um, not far from the river on either side. So um, I, I, I told my other friend, I was like, you know, let's go out. It's just, it just snowed. So if there's any noise out there, we're going to hear it clearly. It's not going to be echoey. It's going to be, you know, insulated. And we'll, you know, just go out and have a good time. It was actually for a live stream for my Patreon. Uh, we did a, you know, took the camera out and everything. And we got out there and it wasn't very long. We got to the back of the cemetery and we heard like a coyote yelp. And I played the audio for you. And it even yeah, did. We even talk about it like, what was that? Oh, I think it was a coyote. But what you hear on the recording is a whistling sound. And it's like a tune. It's not just like a, the wind blowing. It's, you know, there's melody to it. Yep. Uh, we, we heard um, nothing else while we were there with our ears. We didn't experience anything. Um, and when I got home and I was going through the sound recording that I had done is when I found all the stuff. You know, I, I heard the whistling multiple times excuse me, heard the whistling multiple times. And then something said my name and I was sitting in my studio in the middle of the night, like one 32 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, all right, my brain's, you know, mess with me. I'm thinking I'm seeing something run across my neighbor's garage next door. I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to shut it down for the night. I'll finish it tomorrow. My brain's just trying to make sense of this chaos. And, and I'm, you know, it's freaking me out. So I'm closing my studio, locking up, 
and I hear a whistling coming from the uh, northeast of my studio quite a ways, maybe like a hundred yards or so. There's a like a construction company has garage storage back there. And I look over there and there's no one around, you know, there's no engine noise or anything. Um, and I was like, all right, my brain's really messed with me now. Right. I just spent like half an hour, 45 minutes listening to whistling that I recorded. In yeah. Second, you know, yeah, cool. I got him done. Lost my mind. Great. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm going in. I go to the garage and I'm like, I'm going to smoke a cigarette real quick and I'm going to go inside. And as I'm standing there, I'm messing around on my phone. I hear it now from the southeast of me. It whistles at me again. And I whistled back to it. And it whistled back to me. And we did that for quite a while. And I, I had, a, I had a, like an Instagram video message of it. I was talking to one of my friends on Instagram and it's gone. Like, it's just one of those things that, it's missing, you know, like I sent it, I deleted it, they deleted it. It was just something that neither one of us at the time thought was, you know, that important, whatever. Um, but over the next three to four days at night, I would hear the whistling again and whistle back to it. Um, never felt threatened or anything. Um, and it wasn't weird after that first night. It was just kind of like something that was going on. I was like, all right, you know. And then, like I said, after a few days, it went away, never came back, never showed up in the house or anything, never saw the little person that I think I saw run across the garage again. Um, yeah, yeah, just to go back. So, like, because, you know, I remember when you told me the story, I was quite, you know, interested in this humanoid or like the little person you saw run by, like, in, was it like in front of your garage or you saw it at the window, right? Out of the window of my studio is my neighbor's garage. Um, and I don't know, 30 feet. It's like my studio, then the road and then the neighbor's garage. Um, and yeah, it looked like a black and white movie playing sort of like a, a, a child, I would guess. Right. Uh, yeah. Just going across the front of the doors and from, from east to west, from my right to my left. Um, and that was when I was like, all right, you know, I'm going in. Uh, yeah. Never <laughs> You know, it's wild. It's wild. And it it seems so crazy that all this activity happened in the same place. Like if someone told me that story, I'd be like, there's no way you're making it up. Yeah. It sounds insane. But like I I have the audio evidence. Unfortunately, that's all I have besides my word. You know, But but I will I will say this. I mean, like while audio evidence can sometimes be underwhelming, the stuff you have absolutely is not because you played it for me. And first off. I mean, I just want to, you know, like, when you say it had, like, a melody to it, it had a melody to it. It sounded like if you, were like, were whistling, like, a Frank Sinatra song. I mean, it had, like, you know, it, it, it did not sound like any kind of, like, something that would just come naturally from nature. Yeah. It, it, it's, and then you see, I mean, like, so it's like you went to this place and then you, but it kind of followed you home, the weirdness. Right. Yeah, that's what it seems like. I mean, I, it could be a coincidence. I don't know. You know, I'm into a lot of weird shit, so it could have yeah, been. Yeah, I mean, it could have been a coincidence, sure. I mean, but like that's. <laughs> I mean, I don't think so. You know, if you record the whistle out there, then you hear a whistle coming from your studio. Then you see like an entity going across your window. I mean, like uh, unless you see that regularly, I don't. You know, or hear that regularly, like it seems like we should pay attention that they're related in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what it wanted. I don't know. Like maybe it was enticing yeah. me to stay home with the whistle. Like, oh, yeah. 
have to come out there. I'll come to you. You don't have to be out there. Do you feel kind of hesitant to go back out there or have you been out there since like, you know, like, or is it, you, do you feel like you were warned and you're like, maybe you'll heed that warning or are you no, going to go poke the bear again? I've been back. Um, I think I went back with Keith again. I think is who I, I went back with um, the, the first friend. Um, and we took a, a sound recorder again. Didn't have anything happen while we were out there. Came back, plugged the recorder in and uh, the track was uh, corrupted. So if really? yeah, if we caught something, I don't know what it was because it's, I never had that audio available to me. Um, and I haven't been back since, not because I'm scared. It's just, I don't know. Like, I don't have a drive to go back, but like, I would definitely yeah. go back, you know, 100%. Yeah. Would you go back by yourself or would you want a buddy? I'd, I'd probably want someone, not because yeah. I'm scared of uh, like, you know, Bigfoot taking me or getting abducted by a UFO or a ghost mm-hmm. uh, taking over my soul. Um, I would just want some <laughs> area, like it's a remote area. Yeah. I mean, I think people should be safe in like, because I go out to a lot of remote because like, it seems like a lot of the good stuff happens outside of cities. And I know that's definitely the case in Nebraska. In a lot of these places I want to go where people have these encounters. It is so remote. I mean, like kind of like what you're describing that I'm not really scared of, you know, the high strangeness aspect more. I'm scared of like people in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I just feel like it is, you know, for you investigators out there doing the boots and grid research, I think the buddy system is the way to go. It is for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and always I bring do, snacks. I do. Like I, I go out a lot by myself. Um, yeah. You know, especially doing the documentary work. I did all of that by myself. Um, in really remote places of Kentucky, <laughs> that was really stupid of me. Yeah, it probably was. I mean, like you know, like you just, you just never know, man. Like Absolutely. you don't want to get di- you don't want to get missing four and one, you know. So, well, maybe, I do. <laughs> or maybe you do, baby. <laughs> um, well, th- this you kind of helped me out and uh, gave me a little segue yeah. opportunity, so I'm gonna take it. So I'll, I'll tee it up for you a little bit. Um, tee it up. Jason was so nice so nice to share uh kind of an an early cut still like a work in progress you still have some things you're ironing out in post-production and whatnot but he showed me this wonderful really so unique i mean there's kind of nothing like it um this documentary where he did everything himself he was the guy in front of the camera he was the protagonist he shot it he edited it i mean like coming from uh someone in the film the film business like Buddy, what you did is really impressive. Like, you know, like I went to film school and I, I could not do what you did. You know, like um Thanks a lot. Like, it, it's it's really good and I'm super excited for, you know, I know you've shown it to your Patreon members, but I think I think this is gonna be a real good one for you. It's really especially like people who are into these topics kind of like how we are, you know, where you know, where you're really exploring exploring the weirdest aspects of the phenomenon. And uh, I, I found it just so refreshing and felt like it was like 10 minutes long to me. It was really wonderful. So all that being said, would you mind telling us a little bit about this, um, this documentary and how you were inspired to make it? Sure. I absolutely will. Um, I mentioned, thank you so much though, too, by the way, for the, oh, the dude, thanks for showing it to me. Oh, you can watch it as much as you want, man. Uh, awesome, dude. And you what? let me know. I will I will blast it out there when you're ready to release it uh, 
to the mainstream. Yeah. Okay. So uh, going back to what I had mentioned, getting into the podcast and getting into Hellier, um, whenever Nathan Isaac had dropped Penny Royal, um, he had sent out a feeler email to, I think, probably a bunch of people, you know, a bunch of podcasters like, hey, uh, my name is Nathan Isaac. I just put out Penny Royal. I'd love it if you would check it out and maybe have us on the show to talk about it and promote it. Um, he didn't know that I had already listened to it all the way through. Uh, right. So I was already like, when I got that email, I was like, oh, that's crazy. Absolutely. But I can't because uh, when I started my show, I actually, I call it paranormal patio because I started recording it in my patio, you know? So oh, really? yeah, the idea was that when it got cold, like that's it for the year. And when it warms up, we'll start up again. Um, We're back the, yeah. <laughs> so he puts it out in like October um, and he's like, Hey, would you mind having us on the show? And, and I was like, I absolutely want to have you on the show, but like, I'm not doing the show right now cause it's cold and I'm, I'm not going to sit out there and freeze to death. And, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, I can't do that. Like I can't leave that hanging because I was yeah. such a fan of the work and, uh, I had to, I had to do it. So I actually did a paranormal garage episode. I had a heater in my garage and just sitting there talking to these guys. Um, but the, one of the big things that happened with that was that, in Penny Royal, in the last episode, there's a throwaway line about Alistair Crowley visiting Western Kentucky, Livingston County. And I had never heard of that before. Like, I knew Crowley. You sure? Yeah. I'd never sure, he doesn't. had come to Western Kentucky. Um, and why that stuck out to me was because I had had a lucid dream in 2001. Uh, where my girlfriend and I had flown in front of this big house uh, was white, big columns. And I don't know why I remembered it so vividly, but I did. And I, we landed and we walked towards this river and there were all these dead gar on the bank of this river. And I woke up from the dream. Well, a couple of years later, my friends and I had been hiking in Southern Illinois uh, in the Shawnee forest area all day. And we ended up crossing the river and going into Kentucky to see this dam uh, on the Ohio. And we come to this, the first town, we pull off on one random road. None of us really knew. I mean, this is before we had cell phones even. I don't think there was even a cell phone in the car. Um, and it probably wouldn't have worked anyway, just from the area. Yeah. And so we pull off on this road. I'm in the back seat folded up like an accordion in this little Ford Taurus in the summer heat, just sweating and miserable. And uh, <laughs> I open the door, basically fall out of the car and I stand up and look, and there's the same house that I had a dream about. And I was like, what? this, this is wild. Where, where the hell are we at? Yeah. We're, you know, we're in Smithland, Kentucky and it's in Livingston County. And it was a wild event. Uh, it got wilder when we walked up to the river and my friend Paul said, hey, guys, come look at this. And we get up there and there's all these dead guard, just like I had dreamed about. And so that really, it's like, wow, you know, like, what is it? Why did I have this dream about this? Like, why couldn't it have been like a lottery numbers or something? Like, why is it about right. on the yeah. big in front of this house? Um, but it stuck with me. I didn't do anything with that other than, you know, it weirded me out, of course, you know. Never had anything like that happen before or since. Um, but when I hear Livingston County come up, um, 
in uh, in Penny Royal. I'm like, well, Alistair Crowley is visiting the same county that I had this weird experience in. Um, that's interesting. And then mm-hmm. when I read Adorpa, the book about uh, the journeyman from New York that goes to the hollow earth via a cave in Livingston County, Kentucky. Um, that, I was, oh my God. That, that actually, I, I think I missed that part. We talked. So that actually took place in Livingston. Yeah, dude. In the book. Oh, what? That yeah. is so crazy. It mentions the town specifically by name of Smithland um, where I had the, the experience in the dream. And Livingston County is basically nothing. Like I don't say that derogatory, you know, it's, it's an old river town that was really important once, um, and the importance left, and the people hung on. And I love the I love the place. I've been there multiple times now. You know, they have a really great little like drive up diner that is just awesome. Uh, which I found another synchronicity with that. I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly. Uh, it's really weird, um, and it's it starts kind of sad, but it ends up kind of weird. Um, my aunt has had twin brothers and a few years ago one of them uh drowned passed away mm-hmm. and he was either dating or had dated this woman who was at the funeral um and i don't remember i saw a comment or something on facebook that she had made and i was like who's this person and i looked and it said she was in uh she was from smithland kentucky and i'm like what and i look and she started that diner that I had been to like multiple times uh, throughout oh this. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so weird. Just absolutely weird. Um, and so anyway, like I have all this stuff swirling about this place now. Like I I'm reminded of the dream and finding the place in real life um, from Edadorpa and from Nathan mentioning Livingston County. And I'm like, well, I'm going to talk to these guys. Like I have to find out like, more about this Alistair Crowley thing. And I actually had reached out to Marco Visconti as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he's super thulemic and uh, knows everything. He's, yes. And he especially knows a lot about Crowley. You know, he's like, yeah, he does. He just Crowley historian. Yeah. Crowley manual. <laughs> the manual. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, so I reached out to him and he couldn't really give me any specifics, but I, after talking to Nathan and, and Darian West of Penny Royal that night in my garage, I told him that story. I was like, I have to know. Like, what more can you tell me about Crowley being there and, you know, his uh, visiting family? And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I'm going to look into that. Like, what family could Alistair Crowley possibly have in Livingston, right. Kentucky? <laughs> um, I found out. And he had uh, his mother's. Let's see. Hold on. I'm going to pull out my notes because I don't want to get this. Yeah. Total wrong. No, no, no. Okay, his mother's grandfather's son from a previous marriage should make this person her uncle, Alistair Crowley's great uncle. Uh, his name's William Bishop. He moves from Somerset, UK, which is another interesting, hilarious, uh, amazing <laughs> Somerset, Kentucky. Um, yeah. And uh, he marries a woman from Golconda, Illinois, which is just on the other side of the Ohio. And they raise their entire family in Livingston County, Kentucky. Uh, their son, who's also named William, um, which would be Crowley's second cousin, was actually elected Livingston County Sheriff in 1905 and 1913. And he was a U.S. Deputy Marshal, too. So, um, yeah, all those people were there. And 
like i i was like well they live there like they're buried there too you know i found the cemetery where you know all of his relatives are buried that came here from the uk and settled in they had a rough life too a really rough life that is so crazy um and folks listening to this like you have to remember when like he has this dream and then he you're hiking with somebody and you i mean randomly yeah stumble of all the houses Mm-hmm. You know, and the, I mean, like, think, I mean, I, I'm not very good with math or statistics, but I mean, like, I, you know, like, it is just, so wild. The odds are, you know, whatever, you know, like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I feel like you, no, you, you told the story so many times. I, I Every step of it to me is, is just bananas. I remember so, when, you know, I remember when it was bananas. It's, it's long forgotten how crazy it all yeah. is. So much time reliving it uh and documenting it and putting it together as a documentary video and editing that video and editing that video and editing that video yeah man this whole thing has happened so many times and talking about it on great shows like your own um you know i i think i talked about on conspira normal a lot of other podcasts that i've been on usually it comes up it's like well this is this is what i'm gonna talk about i guess um but it's not lost on me that it's really weird, right? Yeah, I'm just yeah. it because it's 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 absolutely crazy. And I remember when it well, felt it's, part of, like- it's part of your life now. You experienced it, so like to you, you've had to like you know weave it into your worldview and in, you know in your personal life. So yeah, uh, but, man, it's so. I, I decided to revisit it and find out. Like I felt like I was called there now. Like you know, mm-hmm. I find out about all this stuff and. And I'm like, there's something there for me. I don't know what it is. There's something there for me. And I want to find out what it is. And when I dug into the Edadorpa stuff, I was like, well, I wonder, this book is probably fake, right? And I don't know that I necessarily believe that the earth is hollow. Okay. Yeah. Putting that out there. Like everything I've learned my entire life tells me that's not true. But I think that there is a potential for belief that these things happen. UFO abductions, alien encounters, Bigfoot encounters happen in a, a heightened mental state that's not necessarily physical. Yeah. And I think when all these people in the 60s were being taken to Venus, that they weren't really going to Venus because they would have never returned. They would have been burned yep. up in dust. Yep. Uh, but I think there's a non-physical aspect to uh-huh. these encounters. And I, yep. I'm not riding off that the hollow earth isn't a place that you can visit non-physically um i think these hollow earth encounters that also happened you know way prior to the alien abduction stories i think they were non-physical encounters and maybe there's not a cave entrance in kentucky but maybe there's a place where someone really went once that served as a portal you know to to this hollow earth. And so I started digging into finding where it could possibly be if it really did happen. Okay. And you look at Edda Dorpa, it's written by a pharmacologist who had never written a novel before in his life, John Uri Lloyd. And if you assume that he wrote the story, um, it doesn't make much sense. Like, why did you write this book? Yeah. If, if you read the book, it's because someone asked him to publish it because they couldn't publish it. Uh, Llewellyn Drury asked him to publish this book in, in the 1800s after he agreed to listen to this tale from I Am the Man, um, 
and I dug into that as well. There's so many things I've dug into with this thing, man. Uh, oh, yeah. But so let's assume that it, it really did happen. Then this place has to exist, right? Because there's other places. Smithland is brought up. Um, he, he uses a name um, from someone in Smithland that they stayed with. Uh, that name was Joseph Watts. He said, we arrived in Smithland. We stayed with Joseph Watts. And I know about the time this is supposed to happen, I look up Smithland, Joseph Watts. And sure enough, man, Joseph Watts lived there. How about that? You know, like, what? So that's real. Uh, I've been to, I've been to his grave as well. Not the same cemetery, but uh, Joseph Watts lived there. And so that's real. Smithland's real. Maybe there is a cave entrance that is, that goes to the hollow right. earth. I start digging into it. Um, and I, I find a place that seems really promising because of the pictures that I'm able to see of it and the description that's given in Edadorpa. And so I, I was like, I got to go there, you know, it's on private property. Um, so if you come across it, be respectful of that. Someone lives, you know, right next to it. Um, were you able to, were you, did you approach the landowners to get on there? I did. And they were cool with it. Yeah, well, it probably helped that I gave them like a, an entire box of candy bars that I had with yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> so you, you got a barter, man. And really quick, did you tell them wh- why you wanted to go to the property? Like, what was your? I'm just curious. I, like, what was your? I did not. What did you say? We, yeah, of not tell them. Um, I will tell you. You didn't tell me you were looking for a, a portal to Hollow Earth. <laughs> well, Here's I will, stickers, I'll, bars. I'll tell you the story uh, off off the air um okay because i've never told that story i've told yeah, it yeah yeah no problem quickly uh, because it's such a, a wild and, and crazy uh series of events but needless to say i was allowed access to the property um and you know they they knew that i was taking pictures and recording it you know and being there man like i don't know i think that was the spot whether something really happened there or not like someone knew about this place and told John Yuri Lloyd about it, and he wrote it in his book. Like it's straight from the pages. Like wow. I'm committed. So you know that that all happened. The uh, I am the man stuff. I looked into figure out that it's William Morgan who was abducted by Freemasons, and uh, his his disappearance started the first ever third political party in America, the anti Masonic movement. Um, right. well, he, he he was the guy who was kind of writing this tell-all book about the Mason secrets, exactly. right? Yes. The, okay. Okay. Uh, Illustrations of Masonry, it's called. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he puts the book out and uh, is disappeared. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> yeah. man. Several local Masons end up taking the fall for conspiracy for his disappearance, you know. Uh, and it's really interesting, too, that his widow ends up marrying john smith of the the uh, mormons um joseph smith or john smith sorry, joseph smith jo- yeah okay no are you uh, serious and at that, the- <laughs> who obviously had this incredible mystical experience i mean that is really nuts and and joseph smith's um father and brother were both freemasons less than three hours away from where william morgan disappeared at the time that he disappeared and it's like wow that's interesting. You know, I'm not alleging that they're responsible, but there's definitely the possibility exists. That they could have had a hand in the disappearance of William Morgan 
And then the son ends up going on and marrying his wife years after the fact, um, which is weird, really weird. In between yeah. places, this is really fun. In between Batavia, New York, where William Morgan disappeared, and uh, Canadaigua, I believe is the name of the town where um, the Smiths were living, there's a county in between the two, and it's Livingston County, New York. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. And Livingston County, New York, actually was, uh, there's a hotel there. I think it's called the American Hotel. It became the, the site for the last uh, vestiges of a Freemasonry Hall. Uh, they were meeting in secret at this point after the William Morgan stuff had come around, the anti-Masonic movement, people were trying to kill Masons. They're meeting at this hotel in secret, and their clothes keep coming up missing. And at one meeting, suddenly they find all their clothes have been returned, like jackets and things, hats and things like that, that they would take off when they go to the meeting. But they find all their clothes have been returned. And, you know, they're excited about it. You know, like finally, like somebody brought our clothes back, whatever. Almost every Mason at that meeting got smallpox. That's how intense hatred was for for the Freemasons during this time period. And that all happened in Livingston County, which was crazy. Livingston County, New York. And all this weird stuff that I'm finding in Livingston County, Kentucky. It's like, there's all these parallels, man, and names of people. You had Joseph Smith who marries William Morgan's widow. You have Joseph Watts, where William Morgan, as I am the man, stays. That is, uh, that, that is so crazy. And even just to use an example, another example that you mentioned, like, you know, 10 minutes ago, how uh, was it Crowley's parents were from Somerset in England? UK, yeah, and in the UK, and then if you talk about, I mean, if anyone here has listened to Penny Royal or not listened to Penny Royal, Somerset, Kentucky is like, and with Hallier too, you know, like that's yeah. like ground zero, man. For like, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, you know, like it can make you feel crazy because, like, you know, when you like look into like the Lauren Coleman name game, you know, the Fayette factor, you know, of like there's this. Um, if people don't know, there's this kind of. Um, theory that everywhere that uh because it was uh lafayette the french revolutionary guy who was also a freemason was going around and they would name you know towns after this man you know fake if you if you look in america there's like so many fans counties. my wife is from a county called fayette county up in the chestnut ridge which is the Chestnut Ridge, by the way, which is one of the most high strange areas in the entire world. I'll stand Gordon's work. That's Fayette County. But there, I mean, like, I don't want to say, like, there's definitely something to the, the name game thing, but, like, I feel like there might be something to the name game thing. <laughs> you know, like, it's or really it's creepy. Or it's a coincidence. Like, it's, or it's it's, a, yeah. Because there's too many incidents of it. Like, it's, it either has mm-hmm. to be a crazy coincidence or there's something going on. Um, yeah. there's too many independent things that it can't yeah. just yeah yeah I totally agree god that is so amazing so I mean I, I, you know, and I don't want you that, that's a really good description of what the documentary is but like also I want people to watch it you don't want to give a, you know like kind of like do you want is there anything else you want to explain or is that like kind of where you want to leave it so people can yeah. you know I mean I can I can give the abridged version of it's about me recreating after finding out of that Livingston County had the, all these things. It's about me recreating my initial trip where I rediscovered uh, the house that I had had the dream about. And then it's about investigating the real life aspects of the book at Adorpa and which I'd recommend anyone to read. 
Um, and it's also about me connecting with people and connecting yeah. with people in Somerset. And I go and visit yeah. Somerset as well. Um, and there's, it's a big journey, man. It was it is. For that first day filming. I was on the road and filming for 12 hours before I got to Somerset. Um, yeah. Stuff in Somerset too. And so it was a wild, wild time in my life. And I cherish it, man. I loved it. It meant so much to me. Well, I mean, you know, there's nothing better in the world than adventure. And the wonderful thing about being into this stuff is that if like you can obviously read about it and kind of take that academic approach where that is kind of what I did most of my life. But like you during the pandemic, I was like, hey, man, it's now or never. You kind of evaluate your life and you're like everyone's kind of faced with like, is this the end of the world? We all die. So I'm like, I better do some things I want to do. And that actually manifested in me going out and looking at this stuff for myself. And one thing I want to pay you such a high compliment on um, just as like a, a appreciator of the arts. I'm so happy you were so brave enough to weave yourself in to this documentary. Cause you certainly could have done it in a way where you were behind the camera, you were narrating it. You were like the director telling the story, but it was so much more powerful because you made it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and trust me, I know it's like, like you're putting yourself out there. It's really like scary, but I think it really paid off, man. Like it really, really paid off. It, it made it very special. And because you weaved yourself into the story, there will never be anything like it. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm really excited for people to see this, you know, man. You know, it was a personal story because of the dream thing, because of Smithland, because of my yeah. experience. It was a personal story. And it's yeah. also a story about my research and, and finding the things that I found. And yeah. present that for other people so they don't have to do that legwork. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there yeah. it is. Yeah. It's been a lot of time. It is. It, 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 when I watched it, the first thing I thought about was, well, holy shit, I got to retrace the steps and go on this exact journey, man. Like, I got to, like, you know, hijack Jason for, like, three or four days and make him, like, <laughs> I'll drive, man. I'll, I'll make the turkey sandwiches. Just, you know, get my, let's go. Let's go. Which... I might be joking. I would like to do that one day. <laughs> well, if we do, we're not going to take turkey sandwiches. We're stopping at uh, the restaurant, the dude, because it's a part of the story now. It's not even. Yeah, you're doctor, right. But it's part of the I story. I will get a wonderful patty melt. Uh, you know, that's my go-to. Um, dude, um, let me just, I am running short on time, but a couple just quick things I want to, I want to ask you to wrap up. Um, you're a very well-read person. You know, you've done your research. Is, is there a book because part of my hope is that people who are like newly into these topics can get hipped to some, you know, you know, headier ideas or just more interesting people than reading about the Bob Lazar story or Roswell and kind of stuff like that. You know, like, is there a book that you would give to somebody newly into High Strangeness? Mm, that's a loaded question because it'd be it is. Multiple- it's almost like handing them a manual. Yeah. Multiple books, but... Um- you can say I'll give you two. You can, okay, you can two. give two. I would say "Journey of Souls" by Michael Newton. Um, I've never read that. I'm writing that down right now. It's uh, definitely a must-read for anyone who thinks and talks about ghosts and what death is. Um, and then I would that. also say uh, "Dreams and Projections of Consciousness" by Seth and Jane Roberts. Um, Jane I've Roberts. never read that either. Is that the Seth material? Mm-hmm. It's one of them. That is the, okay. That's one of them. But it, that was the book that started me on my journey. So I feel like it's a good stepping point for other people. Uh, I learned about astral projection and lucid dreaming that way. Um, and 
it stuck with me. So for me, that's a definite recommend. Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, it, like sometimes books like this where, you know, if they're, I feel like, you know, I, I could give somebody like a book about poltergeist and, but if they were into UFOs, I'm like, no, this still applies to UFOs. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like these books, yet they're like, no, it's just about lucid dreaming and the astral position. They're never just about that. No, You can no. really take this knowledge and these theories and these philosophies and have a new lens to look at whatever topic is your kind of, you know, biggest interest. That's why it's, it, I, I think that is actually so smart to do. Like, get out of your comfort zone. If you're into UFOs, if you just read UFO books, you're not getting the whole picture. You not know? at all. Yeah. Those are, those are great recommendations. Both of them I have not read, and two, I will be ordering both of these this evening. Um, and one final, the most important question I want to ask you. Oh, man. And this is probably go. really important, and it might be a little personal. If you, don't, if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to. Is there anything exciting? Is there anything this weekend that you're excited about eating? Making dinner, lunch. Anything I'm excited about this weekend? I'm a big food guy. Oh, man. Um, well, this is Good Friday. Um, uh-huh. And I'm not a practicing Christian by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, <laughs> attending Easter festivities on Sunday. Um, Wonderful. Whereupon I intend to eat my weight in deviled and or just hard boiled eggs. Like if I can oh, yes. cram those deviled eggs down, man, I'm there for it. I don't care if they're pink. I don't care if they're green. Like yeah. I I don't care. Deviled eggs, a deviled egg. That is exciting. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, uh, Easter is very uh, egg centric. I am personally going to make an egg casserole tomorrow with, you know, some chicken sausage and some cheeses, a bread based one, not potato. You let it set overnight, but by Easter morning, you know, you take it over mom and dad's and everyone's going to be able to enjoy it. Yes. Uh, I love cooking. I love cooking. It's my favorite art form. Um, It's wonderful. Uh, Dude, thank you so much. We had some trials and tribulations getting this interview done. I got sick the first week. The set, the next week, he had uh, life-threatening tornadoes <laughs> bearing down upon him, so we had to put this off. But, man, I'm so glad we made it happen. And I would really invite you to come back anytime you have anything you want to promote or talk about or just, you know, BS on my show, man. You're a kindred spirit and a, a new buddy. And that's what this is all about. It's about, you know, creating this, like, wonderful ecosystem of it doesn't have to be like-minded people but people who are open-minded and into this stuff because like you kind of mentioned you know earlier it can be very lonely you know (laughs) it really can be but i feel like you know meeting meeting buds like you and stuff like that makes it a lot less lonely and i learn a ton um so my friend thank you so much will you come back on anytime you want me man you just you just send me a message and we'll pretend we can schedule it four times and then we'll do it yeah (laughs) Oh, dude, you're a real one, man. I really appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been High Strangeness with Steve Berg. Thank you so much. Peace, everyone. Bye, Strangeness.